Hello and welcome to You Are Not Alone. You Are Not Alone is a 1v1 horror actual play podcast. I'm Blaine, your host and RPG-loving friend. If you like the podcast, please consider rating and reviewing us on your favorite podcatcher. It really helps other folks find us. If you'd like to recommend a game, be a guest, or just say hi, I'm on Twitter at notalone underscore har, or you can email me at youarenotalonepod at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. This week, we're playing Things Eldritch and Terrifying by S. Gates. Things Eldritch and Terrifying is a really wonderful two-player story game about an eldritch terror and the human they are trying to convince to let them into our world. The game is told through a series of five scenes, which the human sets up, before the eldritch horror takes over and tries to entice the human. At the end of the scene, the human awards a token of favor or a token of revulsion, which are used at the end of the game to determine the outcome. This is a really great game that tells a deeply touching and horrifying story. I'm joined by August, the designer of the game, to talk about things eldritch and terrifying and to tell the story of Marnie and Gelu. I love how this story turned out, and I can't wait for you to hear all of it. With all that said, let's meet our human and our eldritch terror. Joining me this week is the creator of the game, August. Hey, August, how's it going? Hey, it's going pretty well. I'm really happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you uh, have you on to play this. It is a, a such such a cool game. And I'm excited to talk a little bit about it and jump in and play some of it. I guess the to start, uh, why don't you tell folks about who you are, what you do, where they can find you on the interwebs? Sure. Like I said before, my name's August. You can find me on Twitter at HarpyDora because personal branding while trans is a fuck. And uh, you can find the games that I've written over at harpydora.itch.io, which is where you can pick this up. And hopefully in the next few months, you'll be able to pick this up in a bundle with a couple of other games I've written that are all sort of monster themed. So keep an eye out on that. That is very exciting. Yeah, I was the the Kickstarter almost didn't fund, but it did fund in the end. And I'm so glad. (laughs) Oh, that's so exciting. I'm I'm very glad to hear that it came through at the end. I know how excruciatingly painful watching a Kickstarter is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But when it does fund, that is always a very relieving, relieving moment. Yes, yes, absolutely. And is this where I can plug my uh, my baby? Oh yes, tell us all about uh, your your other baby. Yeah, my other baby is uh, my home podcast, Follow the Leader, which you can find on Twitter at FTLcast and at FTLcast.com. We focus on telling character-driven stories using GMless tabletop games. So it's anthology format, and uh, you can jump in just about wherever. And it's been my baby for going on three years now. So very proud of what we've done there. That is, that's awesome. And that's a three years is a milestone that is very worth celebrating. That is a a long time to be podcasting. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Long time to be talking into microphones, but it's, it's been good. That's awesome. And I love, I I love that we're getting to this place in podcasts where you have all of these kind of like cool niche podcasts that pick a specific type of game and focus on it. Mm Because, There are so many awesome games out there, 
and having a place you can go to be like, all right, these are the types of games I like. Where can I find mm-hmm. new ones to try out? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with D&D, but, you know, there's there's other stuff out there and there's bound to be something out there for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I'll always have a soft spot for Dungeons and Dragons. It was my my first RPG 20 mm-hmm. more more years ago than I want to think about. <laughs> and I like I still actively play with but there are just so many cool games out there and I love having places to go to to learn about them because there's there's o- almost too many games. Yeah. <laughs> if, uh, I don't believe that's a thing, but if I believed that's a thing, I would say there are too many games. Well, there's too many games to easily fit into a regular recording schedule. Let's go with that. There we go. That is that is very true. And I, do, I, I love that games are getting niche as well. And I think Things Eldritch and Terrifying is a great example of that, of kind of focusing in on cosmic horror in a way that I I haven't really seen before. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's so internally when I was creating this game, I, you know, jokingly dubbed it the Eldritch Horror Dating Sim because like it was it's one of those things where it's like, you know, as somebody who's, you know, always felt like an outsider, there's always like that that sort of fascination with the monster in the horror movie. I think Guillermo del Toro talked about it a lot when he talked about what went into the shape of water and how like in a lot of monster movies, he more saw himself as the monster because of the way that like his, you know, he, he just felt alienated so much. And, you know, I feel like that rings true for a lot of people. And so that kind of like, was part of the impetus for creating things eldritch and terrifying of having this thing where the monster is monstrous, but there's also something that's fascinating about it that could potentially cause the, the human character to be like, Hmm, well maybe, maybe the monster is not so bad, but you know, also I just love cosmic horror. And so, you know, eldritch beings are just cool in general so, you know, yeah, it's a it's a wonderful combination. And it's it's interesting to me like I, and I, when I first read the game, I started thinking about like, you know, enticing is not necessarily the first word that would come to mind to me when I think about eldritch horror. But I, I realized I think a lot of that is because so much of what we experience of like the early part of eldritch horror stories in the storytelling is the trope of it's later in the story, the person has already been driven at least to the brink of madness and they're looking back at it. So it's all horrifying, but there had to, in that story be a moment where it was enticing to the person Mm -hmm. because they wouldn't have continued to push into the mystery. If there wasn't something that at least first was enticing. Exactly. And also in part, this is a little bit of me flipping the bird at the ghost of HP Lovecraft because, you know, the fears that fueled a lot of what he put into his horror are, you know, he was a terrible person. He was a racist. He was a misogynist. He was a homophobe. And, like, you know, a lot of those fears aren't things that you should be fearing. 
And so that's also part of what went into this too. Yeah. And I think it, it does that beautifully. And I think I, the, the greatest thing about Lovecraft's work coming into like open license is that we've gotten to see so many creators who are people that objectively HP Lovecraft would have hated getting to take what is despite all of Lovecraft's flaws, a, a excellent genre of horror and repurposing that to tell the types of stories that make that include others mm-hmm. in a way that Lovecraft did not. Yeah. And honestly, in a way that Lovecraft would have hated, you know, just to, to be completely upfront about it. So. Yeah. And I, 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 I love that so much. Um, and I think there it's, there's a, a sort of beautiful reclamation happening in that very act of very intentionally flipping the bird to Lovecraft. <laughs> and it is, we talked about this when we first started talking about recording, there's that love hate relationship of like his influence over horror is undeniable. Mm-hmm. But as a person, he was about one of the biggest dumpster fires of a human being you could, you could ever find. Yeah. Yeah. That's a kind way to put it for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I'm super excited. I think uh, the game is, it's weird to say this about a, a game called Things Eldritch and Terrifying, but it is a really beautiful game. Uh, Thank you. I am super excited to see how it plays out. I'm excited to play it with you. This is going to be, I'm, I, it's been a while since I've gotten to play it myself. So I'm very excited about it. Excellent. I'm I, anytime I get to embody an eldritch terror, I, I feel very at home, which feels like says a whole lot about me. But it's all good. It's all good. So let's. Uh, I think we've done a pretty good job of kind of summarizing the overall, the the overall concept of the game. So we can uh, we can start by talking. There's a, a great section on tone and safety, and this is a, a place where I will make sure that everyone knows that I have a survey that I send to the guests that establishes lines and veils, and running a horror podcast, I take safety incredibly seriously, incredibly serious, even. Because while like it's fun to tell a spooky story, you want everyone to, to feel safe and comfortable at the table. So we do have some lines and veils established, and I do always uh, have the X card available. So if we ever hit a point in the story where something goes somewhere we don't want it to, we can always just say, let's X that. So as far as getting started goes, the first thing we need to do is establish a setting. And we've talked a little bit about this before we started recording. So we're going to do a, a modern day suburban environment, which... Both of it sounds like both of us have uh, have had quite a bit of experience in that. So <laughs> I feel like it's easier for us to get into a, a good place for horror storytelling with a, with a setting that we are both familiar with. So then, uh, as far as character creation goes, do you want to just give us a real brief rundown uh, so the listeners know what we're about to do? I think both of us have already kind of finished this, but we can mm-hmm. talk about it briefly and then talk about uh, the specifics of our characters. Yeah, so there are only two characters in this game. There is the Terror, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's the eldritch being that wants to gain entrance into our 
plane of reality. And then there's the human, which is the person that the terror is trying to convince to uh, let them in. And character creation is meant to be easy to pick up. I want this game to be really easy to pick up and play. So really what it comes down to is kind of getting a basic like look to your character. And then I have some adjectives that you can select from to kind of give you a guide to what kind of person your character is. And then you pick name and pronouns. And uh, for the terror, you also have to pick whether you're abstract, which is kind of an ever-shifting, formless, nameless type of being, an animalistic terror, which is a terror that looks, you know, either through intention or through coincidence just so happens to look like an animal but off or a humanoid terror which again through either intention or coincidence looks humanoid in some way and then for the human and this is something that doesn't make for good radio because you decide it quietly and you keep it to yourself the human is supposed to in addition to the adjectives, name, pronouns, look, also supposed to determine a weakness or flaw that they have that, you know, should come out in play that the terror can potentially exploit. Excellent. See, I think, uh, like I said, I think both of us kind of at least started doing some, some plotting and planning before we got together to play. So, um, I guess also, I, I will start. I, I, I am the terror. I have, I have decided on my form as being humanoid. And then the three descriptors I picked were elongated, cold, and bleeding. Ooh. Cause that just, it seemed, seemed too fun not to. Yeah. <laughs> bleeding. Uh, and look into what that means. I love this. And uh, as far as names go, in the human tongue, their name is Gelu, G-E-L-U, and uh, they use they-them pronouns. And for me, I will obviously be playing the human. The human that I'm going to be playing is a young woman by the name of Marnie Sands. Uh, she uses she-her pronouns. The descriptors I've chosen for her are skeptical, cheerful, and weak-stomached. And as far as her general look goes, she's kind of average-height young woman, very average features, but she has bright blue hair with neon green tips down to about her shoulders. So that's uh, that's who she is. Excellent. I, I like... There's almost a little bit of matching going on here with blue hair and a weird bleeding ice being. <laughs> awesome! I uh, I love it. I'm so excited. I'm so excited for these characters. Me too. the co- The concept of a skeptical, cheerful, weak stomached character in an eldritch horror game just it feels so good. Listen, I we were we were talking a little earlier about the descriptors that i chose and while you know i'm really proud of the descriptors that um i wrote for the the terrors the one descriptor that i am absolutely glad i chose for humans is skeptical because skeptical 
characters in horror are always fun. There is that that the kind of beautiful humor of the character. He's like, no, like this isn't happening. This can't possibly be real. And watching them slowly have to come to terms with the fact that it is in fact real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fantastic. So for our listeners, the way the game will play out is uh, we play through a series of five scenes. Each scene, my Eldritch Terror will be trying to convince Marnie to let me in into the world. Nothing could go wrong there, of course. <laughs> and so you will set up a scene for Marnie, and then uh, eventually I will interject some Eldritch weirdness, and we will play out that scene. And at the end of each scene, you'll decide if if Marnie was enticed or revulsed by uh, by the terrors pitch sales pitch i have to i guess be an eldritch salesman here and then i have i'll just let the listeners know uh there are a set of moves that that you give in the game for the terror so there are common moves among all of them there's physical manifestation where i create some kind of physical representation of myself there's fugue state where i can communicate in a dreamlike way or directly through dreams then there's terrible omen in which I manifest something in a form other than my own. And those are moves that all all three Eldritch Terror types have. And then as a humanoid, I can also haunt, creating a ghost-like version of myself, or possess other humans to deliver my message for me. So those are moves that kind of help the terror kind of get in the mindset of like, all right, what kind of things do you do to communicate? So we'll play out five scenes, and then there's a conclusion that uh, we can we can tell the listeners about when it arrives. Sounds good. Is there anything I missed? I think I think we're ready to play. Excellent. All right. So I guess that we jump into scene one then. Yeah. So I'm thinking because I always enjoy this kind of conceit for horror media uh, movies in particular. I'm thinking that this scene is. Just after dusk, I think Marnie is headed home from her part-time job. It's probably a crummy job somewhere like retail. And she lives close enough to her job that she can go ahead and just walk home. But I think that it takes her, you know, like, like we said before, it's suburbia. So there's, you know, stretches where it's just like the area I live in doesn't have great sidewalks, honestly. So there's probably, you know, just like weeds growing up through the concrete. And in the distance, there's some thunder rolling in as the sky grows darker and darker with the sun having set. And I don't think that she walks home with anybody. I think that it's just her. She may have like one one earbud in listening to some music on her phone or to, to pass the time. But that's where the opening scene finds Marnie. I like that. That's a good, good classic horror opening. Yeah. Can't, you know, no reason to mess with perfection. See, I think Marnie is, is walking home. What, what is she listening? What, what is playing through the earbud? I think it's probably like early Kesha because of who she is as a person. Always a good choice. 
so yeah, you've got Marnie has has the music playing, and I think we we see it's it's like this this a suburban equivalent of wheat fields where it looks almost like a wheat field, but it's just kind of tall, tall, overgrown grass that rustles a little bit with the wind as the storm starts to move closer and closer, and there's thunder off in the distance, but it's not quite on top of this small suburban town yet. Mm -hmm. And I think the first thing that starts to happen is it starts to get cold. And cold in a way that Marnie would realize is not, even with a storm coming, might drop the temperature a little bit. It is getting cold like winter. I think she doesn't think anything of it necessarily at first, just like, Oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just imagining it. You know, it's just because the storm is coming in, but like when it's clear that it's more than a gust of wind, I think she kind of like maybe quickens her pace a little, just, you know, on some subconscious level, recognizing that maybe this isn't a good thing to be caught out in. Yeah, I mean certainly if this if this is the kind of cold snap the storm is bringing, uh it must be one doozy of a storm coming up. Mhm. So she she quickens her pace past the past the overgrown field and just for flavor I'm imagining that there's like a really old sign that's maybe choked with some sort of ivy that's like advertising, you know, lot for sale by owner, you know, God only knows how long that lot's been for sale. I love it. Yeah. So I think, you know, that sign is there and the wind is starting to pick up. And I think maybe like it is one of those like real old signs. That's literally just like a piece of plywood nailed to, to, two sticks shoved into the ground and one of the corners is unnailed. And as the wind picks up, it begins to kind of thud against one of the legs of the sign. And as Marnie is running or at least moving at a quick pace, getting closer to that sign, she sees sitting on the edge of the sign. And this is in, in, this part of suburbia where it starts to get closer and closer to rural America. It's not uncommon to see birds about. So at first you probably don't even think anything of it, but there there's a, a murder of crows sitting along the top ledge of the sign as the wind blows the sign. And there's this creaking slapping of wood against wood but then Marnie realizes that there's something off about the crows. And it's in the darkness almost imperceptible, but it looks as though their beaks are made of this rich blue ice. And it looks almost like a two sharp icicle protruding out of each of their faces. 
What does Marnie do? Um, I think the first thing that that she does is she like looks away for a second and like blinks really hard and then looks back to see because it's like okay maybe I just had a long shift at work and now I'm just I'm just tired I guess I'm more tired than I thought I was when I clocked out but you know not like I said she's she's skeptical like clearly she's just you know her mind's playing tricks on her because that Red Bull wore off two hours ago but I'm fairly sure it's safe to assume that when she looks back, everything's the same. It is. And I think maybe that skepticism, even like for a moment, you have willed it away. And there's the the hope that it's going to be different and you're going to look back and the beaks are just going to be normal beaks. And there's something about the, the light of a storm about to break. But no, they are still these icy daggers protruding from the faces of these crows. Do they make any noise? Like, are they, like, do, do they caw or anything as uh, Marnie approaches? Yeah, I think, I think they do start to caw. And the, the, the sound they make at first listen is is a normal crow sound and it might be just a trick of this weird sight but there's almost underneath it i think there's a sound that kind of thundering sound of large chunks of ice breaking huh so I'm a little torn because Marnie is weak stomached, but I don't think that she's necessarily cowardly. So I think what she's going to do is she's going to stop and like, I don't think that she approaches these crows. Like she stops short of them. She's not going to, venture into the field to get close to them but she stops and she takes out her earbuds so there's just like the the tinny strains of insert your favorite early Kesha song here (laughs) and I think maybe she pulls out her cell phone and turns on the flashlight to like shine up at them to see if maybe that dispels any of what's happening. Yeah, I like that. What is See, I think when you when you shine your light up on these birds, it is all of a sudden like none of it happened. Their beaks are normal and they're they're making that standard kind of crow calling sound. And the light from your flashlight in their eyes reflects this bluish light as they seem to be watching you intently. Okay. Well, I know, I think at this point, Marnie like lowers her flashlight and just kind of like chuckles nervously to herself and turns off the flashlight and 
just admonishes herself like stop being so ridiculous you know crows are just really intelligent birds there's nothing going on here you're just tired i just need to go to bed and so she puts one earbud back in and starts walking past the sign back you know she's still making a an effort to be quick, but she's just starting back on her way home. I think when Marnie gets a couple of steps past that old sign, still thumping away with the wind, the crows are, are calling. And I think Marnie hears one of them say her name in a sort of croaky voice. That's it. She's booking it now. <laughs> She's definitely running away. Do any of the crows follow? Mm, I don't think they do. But does Marnie look back at all? No. Okay. She she books it, and the crows don't follow, but there is still the their sound in the air. And there is the thumping of the sign as the wind blows and it is still very cold and the storm is getting closer. I feel like that's a really good place to end the scene. Yeah. I like that as a, as an end point. I think, I think Marnie's intrigued. So I'm going to put down a token of favor for that. Just because, yeah, like, she was scared at the end, but ultimately it was, she was curious. So I think, I think that deserves a token of favor. All right. That seems, that seems fair. Cool. And one of the things is that after the end of the scene, the human can optionally narrate a brief reaction and I think it's pretty obvious that as soon as Marnie gets home like she locks the door, drops her things and then just goes straight to bed I I, 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 I don't know how I would handle myself in a situation like that but that feels like a good natural response She's listen. She's a millennial. She's got student debt. She works a crummy retail job. Some crows come up and start saying her name, and it's like, okay, I'm just gonna go to bed. I don't get yeah. paid enough for this. Yeah, yeah. You almost feel bad for for someone in in her shoes to now have to deal with an eldritch terror. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's there's enough existential dread in the millennial world without crows saying your name and shit. Listen, I'll let you into this world if you'll pay my student loans. Um, I mean, if I if, if an eldritch terror came to me and said that, I mean, hands down in a, in a second. <laughs> Just walk on through that door. Yep. All right. So what kind of time scale do we want this to take place over? Because I can think of something that uh, she could be doing like the next day or... You know, we could have it be like a week from now when she's kind of forgotten what happened. That's a good question. I kind of, so there's something, 
with this with this eldritch terror being like glacial mm-hmm. i feel like a kind of more extended timeline makes sense to me okay. um where it's not necessarily going to be years but it's also not like a couple of days okay so i like the idea of like things just starting to calm down a week is a lot of time for someone skeptical to explain away all of the weird stuff. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, let's say that this next scene is a week later. And I think maybe this takes place. Let's let's uh, have some fun. This takes place somewhere crowded. Maybe this is something where Marnie is. Let's say she's shopping. And uh, she's getting groceries and stuff. The store, I don't want to say it's packed, but, you know, it's got several people in it. Marnie is by no means alone in the aisle that she's on. And everything's brightly lit because sometimes it's more terrifying when something happens to you when you think you're safe and everything is well illuminated and you think there's no place for things to hide so yeah if if midsummer taught us anything it's that you don't need dark places to be unsettling and terrifying Mm -hmm. all right i like that i like a good a good grocery store scene so so where where is marnie at this point in her grocery shopping i'm thinking that this is probably around the cereal aisle So halfway through the grocery list, she's the kind of person who like makes her list based on where it falls in the grocery store. So she just checks things off like in order as she picks them up. So it's cereal aisles halfway through the grocery store. She's halfway through her grocery list. I wish that didn't make as much sense to me as it does. See, Amarni is working her way down the grocery store. And of course, the cart that she got, one of the wheels is squeaking and not going in the direction that it should. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, if you, if I, I have never experienced a grocery cart that works exactly as it should. Yeah. And she stops to find her, her cereal of choice. What is her cereal of choice? Let's go with Cookie Crisp. This seems like the the sort of cereal that she would enjoy. It's a good choice. See, I think I think we see Marnie reaching for the box of Cookie Crisp, and there's that the awkward moment of reaching for something at the grocery store at the exact same time that someone else is reaching for the exact same thing, and so there's a little bit of a fumble over the box. Mm-hmm. And when Marnie looks up, she sees, uh, we'll call her Dr. Tennyson. Dr. Tennyson is, you know, it's a small town, so there aren't aren't many family doctors. Um, and Dr. Tennyson happened to be kind of the family doctor for, for Marnie and her family in mm. this town. And she smiles and she says, oh, oh, hello. Hello, Marnie. How are you? Marnie just kind of like steps back a little and like looks a little sheepish and and she's just like oh i'm 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 good uh just uh 
just pretend you didn't see me trying to get that cereal the next time I have a checkup, okay? Uh, I, your secret is safe with me. Um, I whenever whenever I buy Cookie Crisp, I, I tell them it's it's for my son, and it it's kind of for him, but like I always have at least one bowl too. Yeah, it's uh, I'm buying it for my son, who's my cat. And I've got to eat it before he does because it's bad for him. That's and good. You definitely don't want your cat uh, cat getting into the cookie crisp. It's a dog cereal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, that laughter is probably in character. Uh, Marnie looks a lot less sheepish and takes a box and tosses it in her cart and uh, is just like, well, it's cool to see you here. How how have you been? I've been good. I mean, it's, you know, that that season where everyone's starting to get colds from uh, from the weather changing. So we've been busy over at the office. How are uh, how are you and your family doing? Marty, she smiles and she's like, well, I mean, I haven't really talked to mom and dad in a little bit, you know, busy, busy, busy. But, you know, they were fine the last time we talked and I'll uh, I'll let them know you asked when uh, when I talk to them next. But, uh, you know, works the same old. You know how it is. You know, we're getting closer. Well, I say we're getting closer to the holiday season. The holiday season starts in July at this point, but you know what I mean? They're starting to to put out Christmas decorations already. Yeah. And it's at that moment that Dr. Tennyson smiles and Marnie notices that all of her teeth are translucent. Like they're made out of ice. I think Marnie does the same thing that she did like a week ago where she just kind of like glances away and blinks really hard and then looks back. Is Dr. Tennyson still talking when Marnie turns back? Yeah, she's talking and she's smiling and the smile starts to get like bigger and bigger. So you can see more of her teeth. And they are all translucent, wet icicles filling her mouth. And I think Marnie, like, can't stop staring. Like, and then she shakes her head and is just like, I, uh, you know, I'm, on second thought, maybe I'm not feeling that great. Maybe I should, I should get going. I, I want to, and and she just kind of oh. trails off. Oh no, call the office and set up in a, uh, and at that point she starts to kind of stutter, almost like the words she's trying to speak are freezing in her mouth. And her mouth starts to go a little bit slack. I've got a question for you. All right. Is there, first of all, is there anybody else in the aisle with them? I think 
I think it, at, like it, as Marnie checks on that, there are other people in the aisle, and they're all moving unnaturally slow. Okay. And then I think Marnie, like, starts to back away a little bit, but then, like, says, is your face okay? Because one of the, what her descriptors do not include the descriptor polite, so. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, it's <laughs> a good point. And I think that kind of slackness is almost emanating through Dr. Tennyson's body now. And so when you, when Marnie asks that, like in, instead of turning to like, look at Marnie dead on her face kind of just like slumps to the side and her, her jaw doesn't move at all. But Dr. Tennyson says, what's, what's wrong with my face? I think at that point, Marnie is just like, uh, I, uh, and then after a moment, she's just like, I, I gotta go. Maybe, maybe you should get that looked at, but I, I've gotta go and grabs her, grabs her cart and like starts backing away more quickly, but like, she can't take her eyes off of Dr. Tennyson. And I think it's at that point that, you know, Marnie is trying to get out as quickly as possible and is now backpedaling pretty quickly. And there's a, a, a voice, the voice, it's, it's Dr. Tennyson's voice, but it's the cadence in the timber is kind of wrong. And it says, what do you want, Marnie? I think... Hmm. How does Marnie respond to that? I think she says, Well, I don't want to be here. And the voice says, I could take you anywhere. Where do you want to be? And... Marnie, like, without thinking, just reflexively, is like, I want to go home. Like, at this point, at this point, I think she whips her cart around and, like, starts almost running for the end of the aisle. I think maybe a cool way to end this scene would be Marnie whips her cart around and, like, is just about ready to book it down the aisle when she realizes that she's at her house. Thank you to August for designing such a wonderful game and joining us to play. And thank you to you for listening. If you like what you heard, head over to harpydora.itch.io and pick up a copy. Our theme song is Everybody Knows My Name by Hartley Poe. Thank you to Joe Whiteford for letting us use it. Join us on April 2nd for part two of Things Eldritch and Terrifying. Until then, remember that you are strong. You are beautiful. And you are not alone.